Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Jajawarong and the Wadawarong people of the Eastern Kulin Nation and we wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. We would also like to pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening. She sells she. Oh shit! Welcome to Chickstree, the podcast that is rewriting the history books to include the women that were written out of it. My name is Annie and I'm so excited to introduce for the very first time my new wonderful co-host, historian, genealogist, historic detective, super sleuth, Phoebe Wilkins. Da, 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 da. Hi Annie, I'm here. Oh, it's so lovely to see you. First episode, how are you feeling? I'm good. I'm so excited. I'm good. so excited. Phoebe and I crossed paths when Evie and I first started Chickstree. Phoebe runs a business called Born and Bred Historical Research and I think we've reached out to you or maybe you reached out to us in our DMs. I can't remember. Yeah, I think I was Either the creep. Or. I was the creep that reached out to you in your DMs. Oh, were you the creep? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was me. I started. Slid, you slid in. Okay, uh, yeah. slid into the DMs. And we were just like, oh, my God, a real historian. Like we were so humbled that we'd actually like resonated with someone who actually does this for a job. And we had a little chat and I think you were, you were so lovely and offered to help offered to help us and we were like well we felt really bad because we didn't have any money and we were just like well we can't just ask you to do stuff for free since then you've remained um you know one of our staunch supporters so when Evie had to leave us sadly I mean not sadly for her she's gone on to do amazing things and she's still doing amazing things with her podcast with Angie um two girls one pod if you haven't listened to it you should go and check it out I asked you you were a natural thought I asked you and you said yes, and here we are. I've got an excellent head for podcasting, so um, and I'm I'm glad to be here. <laughs> That's why they find me down the archives. You have to see oh, me in the dark. <laughs> stop it. That's not true. Before we get started, we have to launch a new segment, and it's your segment, and it's called Phoebe's Historical Facts. So each week you'll be giving us a historical tidbit that we can take to our next dinner party or barbecue or bonfire. Take it away. Um, Well, this one's a bit strange, but I was chatting to some friends. um, We're talking about their wedding a couple of years ago. Someone remembers people getting nude in the band. I don't. Anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, So I thought I'd bring you a little little fact about weddings. Um, Yeah. So did you know that it was quite common for couples to get married on Christmas Day during the 18th and 19th century? So, you know, put your turkey in the oven, head down to the altar. So not because it was, you know, a a romantic day to be getting married, but more out of necessity because... Christmas Day and often Boxing Day, so the day after, were the only days that working class couples had time off. Um, oh, gosh. And it was also um, quite common for groups of people to get married at that time right. as well. And on the back of that, I have an excellent phrase. Uh, it's an old English uh, dialect term to get married, and that is joining giblets. Joining giblets. Yes. So... Mm. Okay, so wait. 
giblets, yeah. as in giblets from the turkey's well, giblets? Well, I don't know. That, actually, that's a good connection, maybe. But um, I don't know. Did you just say I'm going down to the church to join my giblets today? I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how we throw that into conversation, but that's your challenge okay. this week. So, Phoebe, tell me, have you heard of the tongue? Well, you, it's a famous tongue, tongue twister. Um, she sells seashells by the seashore. I sure have. The chick I'm going to talk to you about today is the inspo behind that uh, tongue twister, apparently. So mm-hmm. you would know this because of the work you do, but depending on the source and who you go to, there's always a lot of conflicting information. So um, I don't have that verified, but in a couple of the sources that I went to, they said, yes, it is. It's loosely based on her. Other people have kind of debunked that, but I, I like the idea that it could be based on her. So we're just going to go with yeah, that. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. And also today's going to be all about fossils and paleontology. So beside the metaphorical skeletons in the closet that you have an amazing knack of digging up, get it? See what I did there? Tell me what you know about fossils in the world of paleontology. Oh, look, my the extent of my knowledge is probably Ross from Friends. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's about it. I do know that um, a number of years ago that they discovered the remains of Richard III um, under a priory in Leicester in England, but that's it. That's about the extent right. of that story I know as well, and that took a long time for them to discover that. Look, I did one archaeology subject at uni and I wasn't very good at it. What's the difference between archaeology and paleontology? I don't know. Let's ask, hang on, we'll get, we'll get Siri back. Hey, Siri, what's the difference between archaeology and paleontology? Go on, Siri. Okay, I found this on the web for what's the difference between archaeology and paleontology. Siri had a seizure. Siri had a seizure. My phone's, I think, about to die because I forgot to plug it in last night. Let me just have a look at this. Yep. Paleontology is the field of science which uses fossils to study life throughout geologic time both animal and plant fossils are collected archaeology is similar to anthropology in that it focuses on understanding human culture from the deepest history up until the recent past that was totally what I was going to say exactly yeah yeah so today we're going to travel back in time to uh the early to mid 19th century and we're going to spend a lot of our time at Lyme Regis which is the county of Dorset in southwest England. Uh, Lyme Regis, also sometimes dubbed as the Pearl of Dorset, lies by the English Channel at the Dorset-Devon border. It is known for being an excellent spot to find fossils in the cliffs and beaches on what is called the Jurassic Coast, which is also a world heritage site. So look, at this time, I'm just going to set the scene for you. So George IV was king of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland and King of Hanover uh, from after the death of his father, King George III, and he would only go on to reign for uh, another 10 years before his death. The Royal Academy of Music opens. William Webb Ellis invents rugby. And on the 10th of December, 1823, Mary Anning finds the first complete plesiosaurus skeleton on the Jurassic Coast. So today I'm going to tell you all about Mary Anning, who is and was one of the world's most 
renowned fossilists. Fossilists. That's a that's a good word. That is a word, isn't it? Say that fast three times. Fossilists. 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 We have to remember this is 25 years prior to the first ever women's movement. So you can already imagine the challenges that she was about to overcome in her life and her career. So Mary Anning was born in Lyme Regis in Dorset, England, on the 21st of May, 1799. Her father, Richard Anning, was a cabinet maker and a carpenter who supplemented his income by mining the coastal cliffside uh, fossil beds near the town. And he would, most, most of the time, whatever he'd find, he would sell to the tourists and they would make money that way to help with the the family. His wife, uh, Molly, and and he had 10 children, but Mary and her elder brother would be the only two that would survive until adulthood. Oh, that's so sad, isn't it? Isn't it? Mm. So the high childhood mortality rate for, for Mary's family wasn't unusual. So Get this, almost half of the children born in the UK in the 19th century died before the age of five. Yeah, half dis- of them. Yeah, and for diseases that are now preventable, like it would be. Yes. You know, smallpox, dis- measles. Smallpox. That's yeah. right. Dysentery, yeah. yeah. Yes. Cholera, really awful diseases that, yeah, that don't affect yeah, like- us these days. Exactly, a 50% chance of survival. That's just insane. So when Mary was just 15 months old, a really peculiar incident happened that became part of local law. She was being held by a neighbour under an elm tree watching an equestrian show and lightning struck the tree and the woman who was holding her uh, was killed instantly and the two other women standing next to her were also killed. Mary was rushed home and she was revived in a bath of hot water. So tip there, if you ever get struck by lightning, get to a hot bath immediately. And make sure you don't have that water saver on your um, thing because that bath is going to run slowly otherwise. (laughs) then you're really in trouble. (laughs) A local doctor declared her survival miraculous. Apparently before the incident she had been quite a sickly child, but afterwards she seemed to blossom. Give you a spark. (laughs) She found a spark. Oh, I love it. For years afterwards, members of her community would attribute her curiosity, intelligence and lively personality to the incident. So her education was extremely limited, not surprising given she was A, a female and B, she was quite poor. But she did attend a kind of Sunday school that was run by the religion that she followed was called the dissenters, dissenters, um, and that was an opposing religion to the Church of England where she learned to read and write. And these Sunday schools at the time emphasised the importance of education for the poor, unlike the Church of England, who seemed to not really care about Mm. the poor. Her prized possession was a bound volume of the dissenters theological magazine and review in which the family's pastor had published two essays, one insisting that God had created the world in six days and the other urging uh, dissenters to study the new science of geology. By the late 18th century, Lyme Regis, where the family was living, had become a popular seaside resort. Uh, Even before Mary's time, locals supplemented their income by selling what were called curious to visitors. These were fossils with colourful local names such as snake stones, devil's fingers and vertebraries. Oh, they sound cute. Vertebraries. Do you pop them on a little necklace? 
which are actually vertebrae, but they called them vertebraries, which I just think is just so lovely. So fossil collecting was rather in vogue in the late 18th and 19th century, first as a part-time, but then gradually transforming into a science as the importance of fossils to geology and biology was being understood. And this is like fascinating because some of the stuff that I read and watched was that it didn't, it wasn't common for people at that in that time to dig up these fossils and think that they'd come from millions of years ago. They just all thought that these were animals and things that were buried within their lifetime. They didn't mm. have the capacity to think, you know, further further back than that. So it was only sort of when people like Mary started to actually think that there could be plants and animals that were around before our time on earth and it was an entirely new concept and way of thinking. Their father Richard often took uh, Mary and her brother Joseph out fossil hunting and they would offer their discoveries for sale to tourists that they'd set up a table outside of their home. So because of the family's religious status, they were not followers of the Church of England, they were often discriminated against. So those who refused to subscribe to the articles of the Church of England were not allowed to study at Oxford or Cambridge, they weren't allowed to take certain positions in the army and they were excluded by law from several professions. And also, again, not to mention that Mary was a woman and she probably was excluded from all those things anyway. Mm, yeah, that's the, that's the first cross next to her name, isn't it? Right. Now, um, in 1810, tragedy strikes and at um, the age of 44, her father dies after he suffers a terrible fall from a cliff and then he later goes on to develop tuberculosis and he dies and leaves the family with a lot of debt. There's no savings and they're basically kind of, Shit Creek without a paddle. The family continue collecting and selling fossils um, together, but they eventually have to apply for poor relief. When Mary's 12, she's out fossiling with her brother Joseph one day, and Joseph discovers now <clears throat> a ichthyosaur skull. <laughs> no, that's wrong. Ichthyosaur, an ichthyosaur skull which is kind of like a crocodile. So we're just going to call it a crocodile from now on, okay? Yep, I like that. Prehistoric Mm -hmm. crocodile. Mm -hmm. And then a few months later, Mary found the rest of the skeleton. So she had a complete icky, she had a complete prehistoric crocodile and it was about 5.2 metres long in total. So it's massive and there's a photo of it. You can see there's a a replica of it or a mould of it that they've made in one of the museums and this guy's holding the head and it's huge. The family were paid £23 for it. So in today's monies, it's about about £9,000, which is quite a bit of money. Quite a bit. Mm. And... This also, this find also started to generate public interest around how old the earth was and all of the sort of variety of prehistoric creatures, the the fascination around that was growing. So it was the dawn of the first ever theories around extinction and many Christians were shocked at this and they, they completely rejected it because they would say, why would God ever let a species die out? So they just completely said that's just not possible. Fossil hunting, as we know, by the death of her father was a risky business and many times she avoided landslides while she was out on her digs. And sadly, because I know you're a dog mum too, 
her dog was not so lucky one day and her dog Trey was actually killed in one of the landslides one day while she was out, um, well, no, while she was out. Oh, the poor little floof. I know. That's him. (laughs) Did you hear me talking about you? (laughs) Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) Oh, Hunter. Did you just hear the word? (laughs) That is so cute. What are the chances? Timing. (laughs) Timing. That's brilliant. She's going to sit there and listen to mum. Now, despite her limited education, she read as much uh, of the scientific literature as she could obtain and often laboriously hand-copied papers that she'd borrowed from others. Many well-known paleontologists would look at her sketches and her technical illustrations and they were blown away by her knowledge of anatomy. And remember, she hadn't studied, she hadn't done any of this. It's all self-taught. She would also dissect modern animals, including fish and cuttlefish, to gain a better understanding of the anatomy of some of the fossils with which she was working. On December 10, 1823, she became the first person to discover a complete plesiosaurus. And she managed to save enough money to purchase a home with a glass storefront window for her shop. And she called it Annings Fossil Depot. I love it. Yeah. The business had become important enough that the move was covered in the local paper, which noted that the shop had a fine ichthyosaur, prehistoric crocodile, skeleton mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on display and attracted many fossil collectors from all over the world. As a woman, Mary was treated as an outsider to the scientific community. Surprise, surprise. Mm. Uh, at the time in Britain, women were not allowed to vote, hold public office or attend university. The newly formed but increasingly influential Geological Society of London did not allow women to become members or even attend meetings as a guest. Oh, those pheromones, they'll just get you. They're just That's what get it'll you, be. Right? Distraction. Mm. It'll be a distraction yeah. for the men to do mm. their important work. Mm. Although she knew more about fossils and geology than many of the wealthy fossilist men to whom she sold her uh, findings to, it was always the men geologists who published the scientific descriptions of the specimens that she'd found, often neglecting to mention her name. So these guys would come, go to her shop, Anning's bloody what is it? Fossil Depot, Annings Fossil Depot. They'd go to the shop, they'd purchase something and then they would write a paper on it and get it published in the scientific journals and they wouldn't even mention her name or the store or the fact that they bought it from um, from her. She has said and she, um, she, there's this quote where she says, the world has used me so unkindly, I fear it has made me suspicious of everyone. She was rarely thanked in academic publications or even credited for her discoveries. Careful work by historians like yourself, tracking down the many letters between Mary and prominent geologists revealed not only her knowledge of fossils, but also the debates around the long lost worlds that those fossils revealed. Throughout her entire career, she would not have one article published at all. 
in her name. The only official writings was when she wrote to a newspaper to question the claim that they had made in an article about a recently discovered fossil of a prehistoric shark. And she said it was an error since she had discovered the existence of fossil fossil sharks with both I'm getting a lot of S's here and it's getting very hard. Fossil sharks. Um, yes. As, as, an, as an error since she had discovered the existence of fossil sharks with both straight and hooked teeth many years ago. The extract from the letter that the magazine printed was the only writing of Mary's published in the scientific literature during her lifetime. Oh, Isn't that incredible? Oh, just a whole lot of men, you know, <laughs> waving their bones around. After a long stint of not finding anything and after a huge storm, Mary had then discovered a creature that she had never seen before. It was kind of looked like a lizard, but it had wings. And she hadn't realised, but what she had discovered was the second pterodactyl ever found. And it was the first specimen that was complete enough to confirm that these reptiles could fly. Can you believe that? Oh, my God. Imagine finding that, though, but oh. having no no, no yeah. understanding about what this possibly could be. Yeah, could be, a lizard yeah. with wings. You'd yeah. be like, what the bloody hell is mm. this? Yeah. So, yeah, and so, and so a lot of the times when she had discovered these things and she'd um, – you know, uncovered them and work, you know, meticulously. A lot of the, a lot of the big kind of uh, paleontologists and scientists just called them fakes, said that they were all just she'd made them up out of concrete, I guess, or whatever. <laughs> Did concrete even exist then? No. I um, something. I don't, I don't know what it would have been. Used mm. something to make to make yeah. them fa- to make yeah. fake ones. Yeah, because um, you know she she's just sitting around doing nothing, twiddling her making- thumbs. Yeah, and yeah. like making anatomically correct scientific replications mm. of fake lizards with wings. Now, ironically, th- I mean, ironically and sadly, one of her most notable finds was oddly shaped fossils that were known as bezoa stones. And she found them sometimes in the abdominal region of the crocodile-like skeletons. And she noted that if such stones were broken open, they often contain fossilised fish bones and scales and sometimes bones from small, other small creatures. So Mary suspected the stones were actually fossilised poop. Oh, that's like a babushka. A babushka inside of Exactly. Um, Unlike many of her other finds, she was actually credited to this discovery. For finding the poop. For finding mm. the poop. Not all mm. the other amazing fucking mm. scientific <laughs> discoveries. We'll just give her the poop. <laughs> she would go on to make another five really impactful discoveries and um, before the age of 30. So huge. Now, sadly, Mary died from breast cancer at the age of 47 on uh, the 9th of March, 1847. And the regard in which she was held by the geological community at that stage was shown when, upon learning of her cancer diagnosis, the Geological Society raised money from its members to help with her expenses and the council of the newly created Dorset County Museum made Mary an, Mary an honorary member. She was buried on the 15th of March in the churchyard of St Michael's, the local parish church. Members of the Geological Society contributed to a stained glass window in her memory. It depicts the six corporal acts of mercy, feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, clothing the naked, sheltering the homeless, visiting prisoners and the sick, and 
the inscription reads, this window is sacred to the memory of Mary Anning of this parish who died the 9th of March 1847 and is erected by the vicar and some members of the Geological Society of London in commemoration of her usefulness in furthering the science of geology as also of her benevolence of heart and integrity of life. The Lyme Regis Museum now sits on the site of her family home. Oh, So that is the remarkable story of Mary Anning and a historian, Hugh Torrens, in 1995 um, in his presidential address at the uh, British Society for the History of Science, chose the epitaph, the greatest fossilist the world has ever known. She finally got her acknowledgement. She finally Only, did. Yeah. Know, 150 years too late. Exactly. Mm. But, you know, that's actually a good thing because a lot of the women we talk about don't even get that. So that's, yeah, that's, that's actually true. a happy ending mm. to to a story that, um, yeah, a lot of the time these women are not even, there's no recognition, you know, mm. of their work. So mm. now I haven't seen this and I was really surprised that this somehow slipped under my radar, but there's a movie called Ammonite, A-M-M-O-N-I-T-E, Ammonite, loosely inspired by the life of British paleontologist Mary Anning, played by Kate Winslet. Oh, or add that one to the list. Right? The film centres on a speculative romantic relationship between Anning and Charlotte Murchison, which is played by Saoirse. Ronan. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I said it <laughs> after 17 tries. Um, so, yeah, isn't that, I mean, I just I, I just thought that was a fascinating um, look into science and history and, and, I mean, we've got a woman to thank for bringing kind of, I guess, into the public knowledge the idea of A, extinction and B, that these creatures lived millions of years ago um, and before that, you know, we humans were kind of not even thinking about what existed before no, we were here. No, it was just oh, we're here and this is it. So, yeah, that's the story of Mary Anning. Meza, what a legend. And that's Ep1 in the can. <gasps> Done. Make sure you follow and subscribe so that you don't miss any other episodes and we'll be back next week with Phoebe's first chick in history. I am excited. Bye.